All right, hello, beautiful people. Welcome back. This is Forever Young. I'm Dr. John Lakey. And I'm Dr. Pam and Daniel Poor. And I wanted to thank all the listeners and viewers for all of the feedback that we've received, the emails that you send, the questions that you ask, because ultimately this is how we come up with uh, our new topics and things like that. And, and today we're pretty excited. We have a, a very esteemed guest. Um, and hopefully you guys learned something today. For those of you who out, are out there struggling with this particular condition, we're going to kind of give you uh, an outline, background, whatever you want to call it, uh, for a, uh, a very challenging issue. And uh, we're going to present the expert in the field. So Dr. David Amron, um, you know, obviously... Uh, longtime uh, friend and colleague, and we're so thankful that you, you've joined us here today. Welcome, David. It's great to see you, buddy. Yeah, great, great, great to see you guys. So, you know, it's so funny. We're literally a block away from each other. We practice, and I haven't <laughs> seen you guys in a couple years, I think. I know, I know, I know. Listen, that means we've uh, kept our nose down and uh, we're, we're working diligently. We're just and... going to give you a little intro before we get started because we want everyone to know how hard you've worked to get to where you are because you really are um, the expert of all experts in this, but you have a, a very um, esteemed background. You've gone to some excellent schools and your training has been incredible. So I'm just going to read your bio if that is okay with you. Um, this young man was raised in Southern California, just like myself, um, went to the University of Southern, uh, I'm sorry, the University of California, Los Angeles, UCLA and UCSD. Um, received his bachelor's degree in biology, and then he was awarded his medical degree from Albert Einstein's College of Medicine in New York. And then he came back um, to Southern California, did his residency in dermatology, which is as difficult as it gets to get into, UCSD, which is even harder to get into, um, and then completed a research fellowship at UCLA. And he is part of the, he's a fellow of the American uh, Academy of Cosmetic Surgery. He's a board certified dermatologist, American Society of Dermatologic Surgery, American Society of Liposuction Surgery, and the American Society for Laser Medicine and Surgery. So we really are thrilled to have you, my man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Listen, 25 years in practice? Is that, is that no, 25 20, years listen, 29 years, John, in practice. 29 years. You don't years. look that you old. You started early. Yeah, almost almost thirty years in practice. It's crazy. No, I'm turning sixty three wow. in uh, in February. My you look God. fantastic. Yeah, Tell listen. us who your plastic surgeon is. Yeah, <laughs> listen, you you definitely look uh, fifteen years younger. You know, this is not you know maybe in line with your program, but I do basically nothing. I don't even use cream on my face at nighttime. It's called jeans, bro. Mm. It's called jeans. I I remember your dad. My dad, my dad, my parents. God bless them. Were one hundred one and ninety seven. So good jeans. Wow. We remember. I remember meeting them. They're lovely. Yeah, so amazing. let's let's get into let's get into the meat of this because again, this is a, a problem that not a lot of people know about, um, and I think education is key. Um, and let's just kind of um, we're just going to throw it out there for you, and you tell us what lipedema is um, before anything else, because a lot of people don't know what it is. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, I will. I'll, I'll do that. You know, kind of succinctly and completely. So, question I have before I even answer this. Let me ask you guys, when did you first hear the term lipedema, honestly? We heard about it, in, honestly, in in uh, probably residency, in plastic surgery residency, just because, um, you know, it was one of those things where it was likely a board question. You know, board questions are the ones that are outside of the norm. Someone comes in and they're trying to lead you down a path 
uh, of you just saying, oh, the patient's obese, they need liposuction and you treat it. And this is one of those scenarios where lipedema is something that's a little different. And uh, in residency and, and taking boards and things like that, that's when we hear about it because you want to be able to know how to treat or refer to the correct person. And that happens with a lot of plastic surgical conditions. And so I think for me, that was uh, the first time I really heard about it's it. It's interesting, though, because what you're saying, though, what you're saying is right. It, it is not something that was, has been in, that's been very common for a while. I would say probably the last five years are people like the lay person actually has an idea about it or even some other physicians. Most people didn't know much about this unless they're real trained professionals. Really, I mean, you know, you, John, you've been in practice how many years? Residency was how long ago? Like 12, 15, 15. years ago? Yeah. Mm -hmm. And came in, how long was your residency? Same, same exact. We were together. And, and you, are you guys who were together in residency? Absolutely. We We've been holding hands for years. <laughs> <laughs> we were sitting like this, uh, from, you know, 15 You know, years. How, the, how the matchmaking took place. Okay. But so you guys both heard about lip edema in residency? It yes, was, there was a few and far between. They used they used to think that it was a lymphatic disorder. And so when we talked about vascular anastomosis and, and lymph edema, it was lumped in. And a lot of times they were saying that uh, in certain subsets of patients that the treatment was actually liposuction. And I don't know if it was particularly characterized or classified as true lipedema, but that was really the concept that was introduced. And then I really didn't hear more about it until I heard your name. Um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, that was it. Okay, okay, great, great. All right, so let me let me go with my little my little spiel, my little talk about lipedema. Um, first of all, thank you guys for having me on. I, I think it's great to see you, and I, I I think you're, you know, you're doing great stuff with this type of podcast. And and honestly, any opportunity to increase awareness for lipedema, I'll jump on with things. So when when John text me last week, I said, you know, can we make the topic about lipedema? I said, I'm in with it. So lipedema, lipedema is a fat storage condition. It's categorized in that category that is very under-recognized around the world. It was identified way back 1940 at the Mayo Clinic, just pretty much ignored and forgotten about. There were some really landmark papers written about it in 40 and 47 by Allen and Hines, um, but it, it was just kind of ignored and forgotten about we all never really learned about it in medical school. It didn't make its its way into the medical school curriculum. And most people don't know about it. And unfortunately, most doctors still don't know about it. That's why if you guys even know about lipedema, especially learns about it, you're way ahead of the curve with things. Because I think that only about 10% at most of physicians around the country really know about lipedema. But things are beginning to change in the last few years. It is one of several other fat storage conditions we do learn about, such as Durkheim's disease or Madelung's disease. It will typically begin presenting at puberty with the hormonal changes. Sometimes later, it virtually always runs in families. So the pattern of inheritance, we call autosomal dominant. And you guys know what that means. You pick up a gene directly from a parent with a 50% chance of passing to the next generation and an equal frequency, a mother or a father could be carrying the genes. So that's a really interesting concept right there. There's many men walking around with the lipedema gene as women, but they will rarely express it. They're only on surgery on maybe eight or 10 men expressing the gene and presenting with, with lipedema. It, it always gets worse throughout a person's lifetime, but it's usually a slow, insidious process. 
but many times there's increases in activity with hormonal changes of puberty, pregnancy, menopause, or other hormonal changes. For the most part, unresponsive to diet and exercise. People are told their whole life, just go lose weight and exercise and diet. And, and it really begins to play around with their head. As young teenage girls, they begin to feel the shame and blame and guilt. Many have eating disorders. They go down the rabbit hole of many different weight loss strategies, and it just doesn't respond the same way. They may lose weight in other areas. The areas of the images don't budge because it's a different process going on. Many patients, as they advance in their stages, they get misdiagnosed simply as being obese based on BMI indexes, which we're now all seeing are kind of an archaic way of looking at things in medicine. Um, and, and about a third of the patients I see for consultations have done weight loss surgery because they're simply misdiagnosed as being obese based on BMI indexes. They will lose weight, but the areas of lipidemia just don't respond because it's a different process going on. There are different stages, one through four. There are different patterns or types and the common type, type three. There's a circumferential distribution of the fat and swelling around the entire leg unit from the groin down to the ankle area. The legs take on more of a column-like shape to them. There's another less common pattern. It's more of a triangulated pattern, type two, which kind of spares the calves and ankles. And it kind of wraps around the pelvic girdle and hips down to the knee area. The arms are involved in about 90% or more patients and less commonly in areas like the abdomen or back. Symptoms. Uh, pain is a common symptom, typically characteristic sensitivity to pressure and tenderness. People say when my dog jumps on me or my significant other grabs my leg or you get a pedicure, it's more sensitive. Uh, easy bruisability is common. Swelling is common. And most patients have a history of hyperflexibility of skin or joints and have variations of Ehlers-Danlos. And I actually think that it really is primarily connective tissue disorder. It is a combination to not only the fat that's overgrowing and replicating mitotically, but the lymphatics are involved to creating a lot of the initial swelling. Fluid is moving into layer fat. You'll get deposition of early fat cells. They start replicating, get inflammation to replicating fat cells, but it's not an autoimmune process. And then you'll begin the process of what's called fibrosis, which is scar tissue in the layer of fat that increase the congestion, increase the pressure, and you get in a vicious cycle of what's going on. I think we're eventually going to find that lipidemia is primarily connective tissue disorder. It affects about 10% of the population in varying wow. degrees. So huge. And you know, this, this we've known this for a long time. And I actually think when I first heard this many years ago, I thought, wow, one in 10 women have lipidema. But you begin to realize, you know what? It it really actually is that high because there, there's many that have stage one or stage two that are just being missed and misdiagnosed. So that's my little spiel on lipedema. Wow, it, it's interesting because it begs the question how many of us as plastic surgeons and dermatologists, cosmetic dermatologists, have performed liposuction on someone who may be, uh, you know, stage one or two. And... Um, you know, the issue, or the, yeah. I, of course, it, the issue for us would be how do we correctly diagnose? Is there a way to confirm? Now, I know you've done uh, research with uh, mesenchymal stem cells and things like that as part of a potential treatment, and, and you've been involved with this for such a long time that you are truly one of the premier experts in the field. Um, for the rest of us... I'm, I'm, I'm just going just gonna, to, gonna, you know, hopefully, humbly just changed the wording a little bit. I really did pioneer this in the US. I, I was the first one over 25 years ago to regularly start treating lipedema. So 
it's and how, how David, that. how did you get into it? Why did you get into it? I know you, you know, we met 15 years ago or so, 16 years ago, and and I know you did a ton of lipo and you like doing lipo, um, and you're good at it, right? But how did you get into doing so much lipedema? Because it's a different patient demographic. It's a whole different world, man. It's tough. I know it is. Yeah. So I, I want to answer that, and and I'll try to be succinct. And I want to get back to John's point about how to diagnose this, and and you know, plastic surgeons are seeing it, and you know, how do you really pick up on us for that? So, but let me, let me just answer your thing. So, so yeah, I decided years ago um, to focus my whole practice on liposuction. Now, how did that even come about? So I'm a derm surgeon. So I'm a dermatologist is more surgical and cosmetic. And the only, you know, significant cosmetic surgery that is kind of in our field is liposuction. If you think about it, you know, we don't do nose jobs and facelifts and blepharoplasties and tummy tucks, but Jeff Klein developed two mass liposuction in 85, a derm surgeon like myself. So it's, you know, kind of in our field, and we have a little bit of a different way of approaching things in general. So when I finished and I joined um, a guy, Alan Wurzer, um, as an associate back in 94, 95, I, I, I had done liposuction in my residency like you guys did too. And I started with him and I just began to develop my whole practice around lipo. I kind of really liked it. And I was having lunch with this guy, David Heskioff, an orthopedic surgeon, at Sherman Oaks Hospital, we were friends and he was years ahead of me. He says, Dave, can I tell you something? You know, pick one procedure and really focus your whole practice about it. It kind of stuck in my mind. And I really liked lipo. So I began to focus my whole practice around liposuction and began to get referrals from other docs at that time. There's a guy, Walter Dishell. I don't know if you, you know, you guys are younger. He had a practice in Encino um, and facial plastics. And he had a couple other plastic surgeons with him. And his office manager was referred to me for calf and ankle liposuction. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to bring this story about in a little bit for calf and ankle liposuction. And this was 20, 1995, this was, okay? And I kind of put myself out there as a guy specializing in lipo. I was getting referrals for things and revision stuff and this and that. And so he referred me calf and ankle lipo. Now, back then, nobody was really doing calf and ankle liposuction. There was no yeah, stuff about it, really no papers about it. And it's one of those kind of so-called, you know, sort of forbidden areas, like mm -hmm. half an ankle. You, you, you shouldn't do it. You can't do it for all these different reasons that never quite mm -hmm. make sense to me. DVTs or compartment syndrome and stuff like that. And, and I'm like thinking, and she was scheduled about a month ahead. I saw her for consultation and I'm thinking, how am I, you know, going to be out doing this? Or, you know, there's nobody to learn from with calf and ankle lepsis. There's normal papers on calf and ankle liposuction. And I'm trying to like figure out, you know, how do I do this? Well, if I, if I do the, my technique, you know, under tumescent anesthesia, avoiding general, I'm saying in that safe plane, which I talk about, I'm never getting into deeper planes under the connective tissue sheet into muscle or deeper things. There shouldn't be any problem with it. So I started to already design this whole way of doing calf and ankles and wrapping the whole thing all the way around and this and that, the way I, I actually do it nowadays. And I did her and she got a great result with things. And I started getting more referrals for things like that. And then you fast forward. So I began to already develop my technique of calves and ankles. And I was doing quite a bit of these things. Now, little did I know that all those patients back then had lipedema. I wasn't really processing it. Fast forward, okay, about nine years later, Nassif and I 
you know, got, you know, we were partners, Paul Nassif, yes. you know, bot show guy. We were together for 16 years. We did a show called Brand New You. Brand New You was the first makeover show in Europe, like the Swan and stuff like that for these makeover things where, you know, different doctors work on a patient and they do a makeover on them. And NASA was doing all the facial plastic stuff. And I did all the light bulb on the patients. And there were a couple of patients where, where it was highlighting me doing calf and ankle liposuction on the patients. So it appeared in Europe. And all of a sudden, I started all these patients from France and Germany and England coming overseas to me and said, Dr. Amron, I have lipedema. I want you to make me beautiful and do my calves and ankles. And so I'm saying, lipedema? I'd never heard of this condition before. What the heck is lipedema? And then, you know, realizing, you know, I started seeing all these patients and wow, this is a condition that was really, you know, then went back and researched things, the Alan Hines articles and Mayo Clinic. And was, this really is a, is, is a condition here, lipedema, that I wasn't aware of with things. So then I began to start doing more and more of these patients and patients coming from around the world. And that's where the whole marriage between me and lipedema came on. So it's kind of a perfect, you know, marriage, you know, my skill set in this area and the patients having nowhere to go, right? They don't really know nowhere to go to for, for treatment of this stuff. Yeah. So, so you weren't going to name yourself Dr. Kankel? You know, I, you know, I, I'm, I'm, I'm pausing about Excuse that. Me. I'm, I know, no, I'm pausing about that for a second because, you know, you know, I did, you know, we do represent ourselves in certain ways and this and that. And I actually reserved, um, gosh, I even hate to say the term kankelking.com. And so that's just, <laughs> I can't. <laughs> Honestly, you know, it's just not me. You know, it's it's not me. It's just like, you know, I, I couldn't go this more sophisticated direction with things. Sure. And, you know, the word cankle is not really well received. And with lipedema, you know, they're suffering from a disease with things like that. And right. so, no, yeah. I, I, I quickly just discarded that. Yeah, listen, I mean, it's it is so interesting. You know, I wanted to touch back on diagnosis. Um, we know the treatment, but obviously go into that in detail. But um, is there a way to confirm the diagnosis? Because what we don't want to happen is for the rest of the general public, the other 90% who are not affected, um, to come in and say, oh, listen, I have lipedema. And, you know, if it's a medical condition, does that mean it's covered by insurance? Does that mean, you know, there, it begs so many different questions. So maybe you can yeah, touch on that. Great question. Yeah, yeah. So great question. That answered your previous question, which we didn't get into. Um, and you know, not only do we not want every patient to think they have lipedema, but neither do insurance companies too. Responsibly, yeah. so we have to be we have to be accurate in our diagnoses with things. And that's kind of part of the problem. Patients don't know where to go to get diagnosed. I hear this all the time. Most of my patients fly in from outside California, and they go, "There's nobody really to diagnose lipedema." And so the 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 crazy thing is it's not that difficult to diagnose. It's it's not brain surgery. And it's based on three things. It's based on what we call the signs, the symptoms, and then potentially family history. So we think in those categories. Lipedema has a characteristic look to it. So it, it's, it really is, it's a clinical diagnosis. Unfortunately, there's no blood test for it. And there's no other test. We've just now identifying the genes, but they have not made their way into clinical diagnosis, nor may they ever, quite honestly. So it's a clinical diagnosis. What does it look like? What are the symptoms of it? 
And then is there family history, which usually will, will go along with it. So lipidem has a characteristic look to it. I wish you can pull up photographs now, but there's a lot of good information online about it. We'll definitely put some of those photos up of lipidem, just so the viewers can see. I think it's a great thing. You can you can use my things or whatever, or find things online. So there's a characteristic look for, look, look of lipedema. It is a, a a a circumferential process that occurs commonly in the entire leg, you know, from the groin or inguinal crease down to the ankle area, where you start to lose the shapeliness of the legs. And you guys, I'm sure, you know, you've seen patients like that too. It's not your typical saddlebags and inner thigh area. It wraps around Definitely. the anterior thigh. You start to lose that shape to the legs. A lot of it is that preponderance of fullness in the anterior thigh area and on top of the knees with things. Generally, if it's type three, it'll go down to the ankle area too, where the where the calf and ankle unit will start to lose definition many times will be early cuffing of the ankle area like you know you put a little band around it a lot of times you're going to see what's called pre-tibial fat in the front of the shin bone mm -hmm. you can't even see the shin bone because you'll pinch and feel there and there's a layer of fat there now that is very interesting how the hell did the fat get there mm -hmm. you know years ago I'm like if you're taught that you're born with certain fat cells and areas how did it get to the pre-tibial area well now we understand that it's going through the lymphatic membranes as stem cells and preadipocytes. And that's why we're going to find it's a connective tissue disorder primarily. There's a looseness of connective tissue. But again, back to the diagnosis of it, you start to see that circumferential pattern. If you see lateral knee, like that, excuse me, you know, lateral knee, there's a layer of fat around that lateral knee area with it. That's almost like pathognomonic for lipidema, mm -hmm. pre-tibial fat, almost pathognomonic of lipidema. But it's a characteristic look, yeah. okay, all yeah. the way down. Then later on, the arms in almost everybody, but usually presents years or decades later, will begin to then get full. Not just the back part of the arms, like you'll see a person with genetic disproportion, but it wraps around, even the anterior part of the arm will get involved. And then, so it kind of goes around it. And then about half the patients have what's called pelvic girdle involvement. They'll have an unnatural ledge around wow. that wow. hip, upper buttock area, you'll start to see shadowing in the upper one third of the buttock that goes into the lower back area called the pelvic girdle, about four inches above the gluteal crease with things. Sure. Many times there's tenderness and pain in those areas, but we haven't talked about symptoms yet. So it's a characteristic look, okay, to it. That's number one, okay? And you can start to see it even in the teenage years. You know, girls will start to develop that loss of contour and it progresses slowly. Number Then number two, characteristic symptoms that go along with lipedema. The first one is tenderness to pressure in about 90% of patients, about 10% don't have it. Achiness, heaviness, sometimes it's it's extreme and you can't always, um, it's not always related to the severity. You might have a stage one patient that could be an excruciating pain. I remember a 22 year old athlete I did that it was in a severe pain with things. You might have a stage three or stage four patient that's not very fibrotic, mm -hmm that has more swelling, that doesn't have much pain, but typically as a characteristic, it's almost like a pathognomonic pain, tenderness to pressure. You don't have that pain with other types of things, either in what we call, you know, erythema nodosum, these fat disorders, it's a different type of pain. Easy bruisability in about 99% of patients. So, I mean, women bruise easily anyway. Oh, you know, so, I mean, but you know, if you ask a lipidium patient, 
99 times of 100, she goes, oh yeah, I, I, I bruise very easily. You ask a person without lipedema, you'll probably get that answer about 10 or 15% of women right, with sure. it. Right, Maybe sure. 20%. Right. Probably a lot of those have lipedema anyway. Swelling is common. Yeah, I was going to say, do you get any pitting? It, it almost always is a non-pitting edema. We could talk about the difference between lipedema and lymphedema yes. because there, there's mm -hmm. another distinction with things. But it, it, it's, it's generally a non-pitting edema with it. Um, but there's different degrees of fibrosis. Sometimes it's very soft and fluffy. Sometimes there's more of a dense congestion, especially lower calf and ankle area. And we can and talk about different patterns of fibrosis that I've defined. Um, so easy bruisability is common. Next, swelling is common, like we talked about. And then, you know, I will I will ask about hyperflexibility of joints. 85% of patients show signs of Ehlers-Danlos with it where they'll say, oh yeah, you know, I could bend my fingers back or I could do splits when I was younger. I think there's a disproportionate number of people who actually got their way into gymnastics or yoga or ballet that have lifting because it worked for them with things. And that's basically it. And then you ask for a family history, sure. you know, oh yeah, my mom has it, or my mom's sisters have it, or or my dad's mother or my dad's sisters have it. You can, 98% of the time, you're going to confirm a family history on one side or the other with it. So again, it's not that difficult to diagnose, you know, once you start paying attention to it. Wow. And then when it comes to treatment, um, you know, it's circumferential liposuction, but what what is it that sets your treatment to different. Um, and also my other question, and I'll just kind of ask both so you can answer both of them, is the one thing that I um, would would imagine is there's going to be a significant amount of skin laxity after this. Do you do Renuvion or, or RFAL or any of that stuff in conjunction with it? And has you have you found it to be helpful in achieving a nice cosmetic you know result? Because, you know, number one, your number one real goal is to make these people feel better. And I guess the number two goal is to make them look better. Well, that's exactly right. You know, I, you know, I, I, I talk about that, you know, with a lipidemia patient, you want to maximize the functional treatment of the disease and maximum prevention. And at the same time, maximum cosmetic. And it's not like one versus another. You actually should go hand in hand. Um, so two different questions again, you know, the technique and this and that, and then about skin tightening. So, you know, let me start by saying that, um, you know, I don't want to, you know, I specialize in this. Okay. So, you know, it, it's, and not only just why I specialize in liposuction, one thing, but, you know, I've now dedicated my whole practice to lipedema. Um, mm -hmm. I think that I'm not going to say that a person has to see somebody like me. I think that there could be plastic surgeons that are very adept at treating lipedema. Um, once they start to understand it and start to like incorporate it into what they're treating, um, I think that. I'll just say this, um, the more, I think lipidema is a different thing. It's not only just, you know, how to approach it and design on technique, but ideally my whole practice is built around it. My whole center is built around it with dedicated things. So I've got lymphatic therapists full-time with dedicated protocols that we work with with it. So I've set up all these really structured protocols in my center in LA. And I don't know if you guys know, I opened up in Salt Lake City, Utah, also Roxbury Institute. So I'm not nice. worth here, but, but each center has dedicated protocols with things, how we go about doing things, the grouping, the strategic areas, the interval between the surgeries, the pre-care, the complicated post-care. Because once you get into lipidem, I'll say this, 
you got to, if you're really going to put yourself out there as a lipedema surgeon and say, you know what, I'm treating lipedema, I think it, you need to be prepared to deal with every single type of lipedema. You know, your uncomplicated stage two patient, but your stage four lipolymphedema patient that might have different protocols with things like that. And your and your your very difficult stage one patient, you better nail it cosmetically with things also with it. I think you're getting maybe, maybe two different groups now starting to get into lipedema surgery. You know, ones that have never done a lot of liposuction, like you guys have, that just say, hey, you know what? It's treating a disease. I'm going to start doing lipo. But you know what? You better get your skills set up to a really high level cosmetically first with it. And then you're getting, you know, other surgeons who say I can get into lipedema, but aren't preaching as a disease or treating also. And the important considerations with that, with it, you know, DVT prophylaxis, five, you know, five latent deficiencies in patients and how to deal with those complicated patients with things. So I'm going to start by saying, you know, dedicating a lot of your practice to lipidema is an important thing, I think, to really take on lipidema as a surgery. To technique wise, I think that there are different approaches to things. Um, and I think that a lot of surgeons can, can, can help patients with lipidema to really nail it. You know, you got to really get into the nuances of, of, of this thing and, and all the different stuff. But, you know, in terms of approaches to, to lipidema surgery, there's different ways of doing it. And I kind of talk about this. You can kind of debulk and spot treat areas and make improvements on patients. So you get somebody with like lipidema or thighs and buttocks, your typical way as a surgeon, let's go about and like, you know, do the hip and outer thigh area and the inner thigh area. And, you know, let's avoid the the, the anterior thigh, the posterior thigh area and not do it circumferentially. Patient might get improvements in things. You're going to cosmetically improve them. You're going to improve their symptomatology in those areas, but I don't think it's ideal because it's not following the whole process of the disease. A lot of surgeons are doing what I call a strip approach now. They're doing fronts or backs. They're putting people under general, which is fine. You know, and we, we're going to talk about that a little bit. They're doing the whole front part of the legs. And then later on in a prone position, doing the back part of the legs and connected. I think that's another uh, acceptable approach with things. They're doing, or they're doing more of a circumferential thing, which I developed and I do. And I wrap entire body parts, every millimeter of it. So when I do the lower legs, I do it from the knee down to the ankle, 360 degrees. When the thighs are done, I commit to the whole thigh unit, which you guys know is, you know, a, a, I don't want word to use a gutsy, a gutsy thing where you're doing everything from the popliteal fossa to the patella and you're taking all the way up and every millimeter of it is being done as a complete unit. It, it is technically much more challenging. I think under general anesthesia, it is a little bit of a technical disadvantage because you don't have positioning and all that stuff as part of it. And we can go into detail about this. So I prefer to have a patient conscious or under twilight for positioning to really stay in that plane with things. Um, but it, it's it's a way of, of maximizing the disease treatment because if you just do different areas, you're not really treating it completely. The fat is going to tend to continue growing in those other areas. You've created disproportion in that cosmetic unit, um, you know, because you haven't you haven't wrapped mm -hmm, it mm -hmm. completely. But but there's so much fat in these areas that you know, obviously there's limits to how much we can take out in one sitting. So I know you stage them. Um, how does the staging work? Like you get somebody that comes in and, you know, you, you're going to, some of these thighs probably put out five liters on each side. So do you stage them? How, how does, how long does it take before you bring them back? Um, and go ahead. And then I have, I have a billion questions for you. We'll go one at a time. <laughs> 
And, you know, we're, we're going to a lot of detail here and I, I can go to more and more detail, but I, you know, I want to keep it for the listeners. So let me, let me kind of run through my technique very briefly. So, so, um, first of all, you know, I look at the body from a standpoint of balance and proportions for my guiding principle with anyone with lipo, you know, where are they disproportionate? It happens to be lipedema. The disproportion is where the disease is, you know, so you're targeting that disproportion with things. I also talk about different cosmetic units of the body with things. I, 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 I do a lot with each surgery in the average patient. I do a complete correction, typically in two full surgeries. It can go into two and a partial surgery. Um, I don't like general anesthesia um, in general. So I, 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 I tend to avoid it. Um, I do it maybe once or twice a year for a number of different reasons, but a lot of it is, is actually results because of patient positioning disadvantages. Sure. Um, and so then, then in terms of my technique, I, I, I have a, a multi-step process. I do what I do is completely circumferentially in almost all patients, unless they're very advanced. Okay, the lipolymphedema patients, I'll do semi-circumferentially because there's too much congestion. Mm -hmm. Step one is complete preparation of the tissue to mess the, the the hell out of it, not just wet technique. Create a bloodless feel. Step two is round one with PAL, like we all use, child sure. liposuction. I then go back with Vaser which I do like in these patients because it further emulsifies the fibrosis, down okay. to a liposculpture. And then I may do a final skin tightening step in areas of moderate loss of elasticity. So we'll talk about that, how I group elasticity in different categories. Um, and and I, I the, in, the surgeries are done strategically grouping different units. And again, that's a, you know, when I may, I may group pelvic girdle with calves and ankles, I may do circumferential torso if there's involvement that, in a, in, in a surgery, circumferential thighs are typically done by themselves. Arms may be grouped with calves and ankles. The limiting factor for me, payment, is not um, liters of fat removed. So we, we all know from both plastic surgery and derm surgery, the safe guideline is five liters, right? Sure. Guideline. guideline. And it's, it's, I think it's a reasonable guideline. Five to six is about the average I remove per patient. Um, I removed 13.5 in a patient a month, a month ago, calmly, I removed 8.5 yesterday. So I'll commonly go past that. You know, I've, I've, I've always tended to, um, carefully, <laughs> you know, push past things. You know, I did it with doing calves and ankles. I do that with BMI indexes. Another thing we could talk about with it, which I don't, I don't really pay attention to BMI indexes. And the same thing with leaders removed also, if it's done in a certain way, um, you know, five leaders, first of all, we have to understand, I don't think is, is, is a sensible guideline because it's five leaders on somebody who's 110 pounds, the same as somebody who's 410 pounds. Well, obviously not. Right? Sure, sure. right, 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 right. So, so you know, you've got to look at each patient differently. I mean, 13 and a half liters and 110 pound would be ridiculous. But, you know, but 13 liters and somebody who's 400 pounds may be a reasonable thing with it, depending on how things are managed. So I don't, I don't just pay attention to liters of fat with it. Um, That's amazing. And I think uh, for our listeners and viewers, you can see that this is a very complex surgery. This is not someone that you go to at a med spa and they uh, say, oh, don't worry about it. I can perform liposuction. You can see that there are layers to this and uh, in order for you to achieve the best functional and cosmetic result. Well, well, you know, th thanks for, you know, for, you know, humbly saying that too with it. I, I really, I, I think I really, really say that. I think that it's something, you know, you just don't want to dabble in, mm -hmm. you know, if you really, I mean, I think you get a person can do somebody, get a decent one, but if you really, you know, put yourself out there, especially in lipedema and, and, you know, I used to train 
people just come and spend a week or a month with me and I just don't do it anymore. I do kind of this fellowship for between six and 12 months, one at a time, because there's so many different components to it. Um, back to payments thing about skin tightening. So, you know, we can talk about that. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I mean, you bring up a good point, you know, loose skin and what to deal with, how to deal with it. So, you know, I, I'm a guy who loves to categorize things in ways I can function by and understand and for patients to understand too. So I break skin elasticity into three categories, very good elasticity, moderate loss, and more profound or significant loss. For very good elasticity or in areas like calves and ankles, you don't have to do anything else. No need for obviously surgical tightening and no need for things like J-plasma or body tight because they're going to conform beautifully there. Sure. Many times the hip area too, same thing also. You know, many times even arms, if they're elasticity or young, they're elasticity, they don't have to go to an extra, extra tightening step. For moderate loss, when it's gotten, you know, looser, but maybe not so loose that you're, we're going to do a thigh lift or an arm lift procedure. And, you know, humbly saying, I don't do that. I don't, I don't, it's not my area of specialization for me to start doing thigh lifts and arm lifts. I'm a derm surgeon. So I do all the lipo and my plastic surgeon then teams up with me to do the skin tightening stuff. But if it's more moderate loss, like, you know, the arms mm -hmm. like 40 years of age or the thighs, then yes, I will usually do J plasma or, or Renuvian as a final step and maximize the tightening. I prefer that as opposed to body tight, which I also have because it disperses the energy in a better way. And it avoids a surgical tightening procedure like an arm lift or thigh lift and the potential scar from that. If it's more significant and just more, more looseness, it's not responsible for me to recommend J plasma for the additional cost. That person needs to have an arm lift or a thigh lift done or, sure. you know, See, what a good guy. Honest guy, doesn't want to, you know, that's yeah, great. No, but that's great, man. A lot of people aren't like you. I'm sure you guys, I can just tell by, by you know, your MO, you know, you <laughs> guys are the same way also, you know, we do oh, things, sure. we do things for the right reason. You know, we take care of patients, you know, we never do things, should never be that, sure. that surgeons are doing things to pad their pockets with things like that. You know, you're doing yeah. things for the right thing yeah. to the patient. You, you want to guide patients. You want to educate them. You always no, want no. to do right. Never trying to, it's like me taking my car, you know, to a mechanic, you know, which I don't know what's going on there. I, I love driving cars, but I go to a mechanic. I something going on and they're not being honest with me about, about what's wrong. They're trying to sell me on different things. It's like, that's not cool, man. I know that's uh, yeah. unfortunate, but it's good to have people like you. Um, moving along with something, uh, you know, and, and I do liposuction, but obviously not like this, but so these patients just, the majority of them require more than one operation. Is that right? The ones that are significant, have significant, uh, lipodystrophy or lipedema, I should say. So let's say you're, you're average between stage two and three patient with lipedema. Okay. They're going to require between two to three surgeries. If it's calves and ankles, thighs and arms, it's typically a two surgery process. And I group arms with calves and ankles as one full surgery and circumferential thighs as another full surgery right. a month or more apart. If the hip upper buttock area is involved, it becomes a two and a half surgery plan. And uh -huh. I'll okay. group things a little differently. And, and the half a surgery will typically be done a day or two apart from one of the full surgeries. Some okay. of this has to do with lidocaine levels. Some has to do with decongestion in adjacent areas, like with thighs and calves and ankles. I want to decongest 
a month or more before I'm going to go ahead and do the adjacent area with it. And, and most of your patients, um, your post-op regimen with compression, I'm very curious. What is your what are your what are your thoughts on compression? Well, I mean, just in general, on, on with liposuction or with lipedema or both. With with lip with liposuction and with lipedema. Well, you know, because there's two ways to look at it. You know, like I'll be honest with you, the one thing I think is necessary after liposuction is massage. I think massage is probably as important as anything. You get a good masseuse to prevent fibrosis and really kind of milk the area. I think that's good. Compression, I'm not a, I'm not someone that's like, I'm not a stickler. I'll have them wear compression for two to four weeks at most, and then I'm done. So I was wondering just what you think. No, I mean, it's, it's, it's great to talk about this because, you know, these are things that, you know, each surgeon has their own little things within protocols. And honestly, mm -hmm. the thing that I've actually spent the most amount of time kind of refining my protocol with is, is compression stuff. And, you know, pre-compression, post-compression, length of time. Yeah, you know, I'll, I'll say that a lot of guys in Germany, you know, they actually, it's interesting how they approach things because they have these lymphedema clinics in the Black Forest. I mean, they have really, you know, advanced compression therapy. They take lymphedema very, very seriously and, and how they manage things. Some of it, I will say, I think is a little bit overkill with it. And that's where you got to sort through what's kind of really makes sense and what doesn't make sense. Right. I'm going to say this, and I'm, you know, a lot of lymphatic therapists follow me with things and MLD therapists. And, and I want to say this in a way that it's respectful to them and their roles with things. And there's different opinions about things. So this is my opinion about it. I think compression therapy is important as a general statement in both cosmetic patients and in even more so in lipidium patients. In cosmetic patients, I think compression garments afterwards is important. I don't think it's the end all and be all. Like, oh my God, I think it's mostly how the surgeon has done their work with things and stuff like that. Agreed. That's an important thing with it. I think it it probably helps or ensures maybe a little bit of a slightly better result in, in, in patients, but it's not the end all and be all. I kind of think that's same with, with lymphatic therapy too on cosmetic patients payment. I, I think it is, and now lymphatic therapists are, are going to like, you know, hate me for this. I think, <laughs> it, I, th I think it's a luxury. It's a nice thing to do. I think it certainly can hasten the swelling process. I don't think it leads to a different result at the end, but some, you know, but some lymphatic will say that I think if a patient's can afford to do it and they, they want to do it. I think it's a nice thing to do, but I, I I'm not going to require it as much on the on the cosmetic patients. Now, lipidemic patients are different. Okay, you've got to have really protocols in place. You got to think of them in terms of your uncomplicated milder patients or your lipolymphedema patients. So, lipolymphedema, the really the ones that have lymphatic damage and congestion, they get on pre-compression therapy. Okay, the pump therapy, maybe even bandaging and wrapping beforehand wow. to get that tissue in a healthier place. Because you mm -hmm. get into that tissue, it's an unhealthy place. You increase your chance of complications on patients with things. This is where, you know, surgeons are taking on lipidemia have to like, you know, have that as part of the protocol and work with lymphatic therapists. Um, afterwards, my patients in general are on compression garments and they're on typically, you know, tighter compression garments. Some of them are flat knit garments, um, one month full time. And then we evaluate them and if they're decongesting in a linear fashion they'll change to 12 hours a day the next month after that. The patients that are still congested, they're what I call the, the delayed decongestors. 
they become very fibrotic and hard, we got to step up their compression protocol. They'll stay longer in compression garments. And then those patients were going to add pump therapy at the three to four week uh, point. Okay. Because there's so much edema, you're... Yeah. Well, so much edema, but there's so much fibrosis going on. There's so, there's so much, you know, congestion because a lot of patients will go into a very inflamed period because that material is pro-inflammatory that you've, you've, you've done lipo on. And in a lot of patients, they, they will get very congested. You can't always predict. It's not always your stage four patients. It's not your stage one patient. I can think of many that just, you think they're going to decongest like butter, they become more congested. And you've got to be prepared to deal with that. You've got to have a therapist on ready to bandage and wrap those patients and pumps in their hand that are prescribed ahead of time with it. So, you know, the compression protocol, it, it really is a complicated thing. I mean, kind of a simple, but there's all these little nuances to it. So it's interesting for the listeners that are that are listening to this this episode. It's it's really interesting because coming to someone like me um, that does cosmetic liposuction, I don't know these protocols for lipedema. That's why I send them to Dr. David Amron. And I think everyone else, and this is the big take home message: is there are some procedures just because liposuction is the treatment, and I know how to do liposuction, it doesn't mean I'm the right guy for it. Um, and and this is a really complicated problem. And I think when dealt with by the right person, as the person that we're speaking to right now, I think you're, the, the chances of really achieving your goal and, and you know also having a better quality of life are going to be much higher than if you just go to that, the corner lipo guy that's going to do lipo under local, and then you're going to have the same problem. So you know, there's so many different levels that you're bringing up for us that yeah, it's making us really aware. Complex and I, I, you know, again, you know, humbly, and, and and this is where you know you guys are are hosting a talk show podcast thing, and and it's it's you know, you're rightfully um, putting things in the right light with things. You know, it's all about education and awareness and stuff like that. And it's not about egos. And you know, when you you know we highlight a person like me, you know, it's it's just done in a in a very lovely way. But um, yeah, you know, you know, payment's true. You know, we all I always say to patients, you want to. This is the same with any any surgery. Mm-hmm. You want to find yourself first of all. Take your time to find a surgeon. You know, just don't quickly rush and do things. You don't kind of respond to some price driven thing or the you know the newest technology and this and that, or just who looks good on social media. You know, I, I did a radio show for two years with Carrie Kasem. It was called The Cut Above before podcasting came out. And, you know, we used to do segments on different topics. And one was how to find the right surgeon. And it's not always who's in Beverly Hills, who charges the most, who's necessarily been in practice the most, who's been on television shows, you know, who's looking at, you know, with their patients on social media. Take the time, do 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 two or three consultations, and choose that right surgeon. And it's very hard because you're trying to find yourself to the person that has the greatest chance of giving the best results and the lowest chance of a problem or complication. And the same thing with lipidema, like you kind of like said also, you know, take the time to like. I love it. Well, along, along that same vein, then, if a patient ha- feels as though they have lipidema, What's the best way to get in touch with you? Where can they go for more information? Just because we've given them uh, enough to stew over. Uh, we've educated our viewers and listeners. Now, how can they get in touch? And, with and you? chances are one in 10 of the people that are listening has it. So, yeah. <laughs> you know, if it's a 10% chance. 
there is a lot more information. Now, years ago, there was not a lot of stuff out there. Now you're seeing more stuff. And this is where the beauty of social media. I mean, I, I kind of hate it for a lot of reasons. My kids being on it, as I joke about, but you know, it, it can spread awareness and, and there's a lot of good information out. There's a lot of influencers that are doing podcasts with about, about lipedema. There's information out there. Um, how to how to find me? Um, you know, just look at my name, David Amron. Um, I've got you know the Roxbury Institute here and in Salt Lake City. There's a program called the ALT or Advanced Lipidemia Treatment Program with me and my whole team uh, that that is available. Um, you know, but I think there are other people who are also qualified around the country to either diagnose lipedema. Um, there are surgeons that are doing it around around the country that I think are doing good work with things. A lot of them are dedicating their practice to lipedema also. Um, I'm just going to take the time to plug my book. So there's a, a, a book I came out with. It was two years for me to do this thing. It's called Liposculpture and Lipedema Surgery, uh, A Guide for the Patient and Pearls for the Surgeon. It really is a great book. It's I really tried to write this as an educational thing, not just plugging my way of doing things. Um, and it's got three chapters, cosmetic lipo, revision lipo, and a huge area on lipedema that goes into a lot of great information about it. So it's available on Amazon now. I'm gonna I'm gonna buy it today and bring it to your office so you can sign it for me. I I, I gotta say this, you know, there there's there's really good information. There's highlighter box there for surgeons and stuff like that. And I, I look forward to reading it, man. I yeah, do. We can all we can all learn from each other with things. Absolutely, hey, man. There's absolutely, there's, man. There's it's no so doubt. good to see you. Yeah, listen, we, we're we're so thankful to have you on today. Again, for viewers and listeners just an expert in the field uh, for those of you who feel that you may have uh, you fall into the categories of lipedema um, he's definitely the the guy that that we would recommend and uh, we appreciate your time and your expertise and uh, I look forward to reading your book well thank you so much you guys honestly you guys are great you're doing a wonderful job it's a great cause but you guys are really good at what you do with this how, how, how long how long has the podcast been been, been on for We've done uh, a, a little bit over a hundred episodes. Yeah. Wow. No wonder you're so yeah. good. You know, practice, so practice, yeah. practice. We're really good at just <laughs> sitting next to each other and yeah, just yeah, talking. Yeah. <laughs> so I had the option to actually be there physically in person. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yes. Yeah. Next yeah. time we're bringing you in person. Ne next time let's do it. I'll, I'll bring some uh, some Starbucks lattes for us and I'll be there in person. I love, love it. it. I oh, love it, man. Listen. Thank you so much. We really appreciate it. Uh, for our listeners, I hope you learned something today. I know we did. And Definitely. So, um, you know, keep those questions coming and thank you for the feedback. Once again, this is Forever Young. I'm Dr. John Lakey. I'm Dr. Payman Danielport. David, thank you again for joining us. Say hello to the family. You can listen to us wherever you listen to your Same podcast. You. Watch us on YouTube. You can check us out on TikTok or Instagram. Peace. Seeking the truth never gets old. Introducing June's Journey, the free-to-play mobile game that will immerse you in a thrilling murder mystery. Join June Parker as she uncovers hidden objects and clues to solve her sister's death in a beautifully illustrated world set in the roaring 20s. With new chapters added every week, the excitement never ends. Download June's Journey now on your Android or iOS device or play on PC through Facebook games.